So here's what I need some advice on, as always, at the beginning of these shows. So the advice that I need is I've been thinking one of the things I want to improve on in this year, this calendar year, I don't want to confuse it with fiscal years for anyone who's got that in their head, is I feel like a lot of the times I'm out in my life, I'm wandering around, and someone challenges me or tells me, like, you know, does some, like, negative bullshit towards me, right? And, like, my brain, my lizard brain kicks in. Now, I wouldn't even say my lizard, lizard brain. I would say my I'm going to fucking destroy you brain, like, mm. kicks in, right? And wow. the, the only weapon that I have is, like, rhetoric, right? Like, I'm, I'm not very strong. I, like, you know, I don't have any sort of, like, reputation I can bring on someone or some sort of power. And so all I have is cleverness, right? Like, kind of in Loki style, except that I don't have any magic, Right. And so I'll just like quickly come up with some sort of like witty phrase that in retrospect is kind of like stupid and not useful. Right. But what I need to do is like I realize that I need to like slow down and almost like be quiet and think of something even better to say. Right. And so I want to build up this power that when someone like challenges me or like I'm in a difficult situation, I can just like not instantly strike like a dumb cobra, right, with words, right? So for example, right, I was um, here in, in uh, pardon my Dutch, Daufendrecht. I was taking out the trash. Now in Daufendrecht, they had the brilliant idea. I don't want to get into it because, you know, I love living here and I'm an American. I'm a foreigner, as they say, or whatever they say in Dutch. But I was taking out the trash and you have to actually use the scan card to like open up the trash bin to throw away your trash, and they charge you 50 cents, that's euro cents, however you would say that, uh, to throw away each load of trash. I think I've covered this before. And I had lost my card at some point uh, in this past week, but I needed to take the trash out because it smelled and it was full. So I took the trash out there knowing that I wouldn't be able to open the trash can, and I just set it down next to the trash bin, which if you have followed the past how long has it been that I've lived here? Four years, I think. The past four years of a series I like to call Garbage Chairs of Amsterdam. In the city that surrounds this city, no one has any compunctions at fucking all about leaving their trash next to a trash can. It is, like, magical. They'll just be like, oh, this is an area where trash is put. I will put trash here, too, whether it goes in the receptacle or not. Down here, not so much the case. So I put the trash bag next to the trash can because I couldn't find my card. And someone was walking by, and they did that whole signal of, like, you're an asshole. Like, you know, what are you doing? And I was like, I lost my card. And they were like, oh. And it was, it was actually very Dutch. They spoke to me in English, which was nice. They were like, oh, you know. And I was like, no, no, I, I don't know where it is. You want to come help me find it? And I was thinking, like, and then they walked off. And I was thinking, like, that was not the best response, right? Like, <laughs> I, I mean, it, it was sort of clever that I could be like, you know, why don't you come with me and help me solve the problem? But I felt like if I could have like slowed down, right, and just taken a beat or five, and, and like I could have kind of constructed a better, more helpful conversation. And maybe I could have been like, oh, yeah, you know, I take the trash out a lot. And, uh, you know, sometimes I put the card here and sometimes I put it there. And like, I don't really know where it is. What do you do when you lose the card? Right? Like, I feel like the best sort of like fuck you response is to really like be level and engage and kind of try to have like that tone with someone and just totally like whatever. Now, on the other hand, my other response could have just been like nothing. 
And and so like that's what that's what I need some help with is like in a moment like that, how do you two sort of like level set yourself out so that everything is fine? <laughs> no, I, I'm not sure I have I have the answer. I, I, I just need to relate Australia's approach, which is um, uh, you might not know this, but Australia is a uh, a nanny state. And so there are signs when, for illegal, tr- you know, l- illegal trash, illegal dumping um, and that say report a tosser. <laughs> and that cracks me up every time I see it. <laughs> And they've got a phone number, and they encourage you to text photos of people doing illegal dumping. Now, now, okay, in, in, in my defense, not like eight minutes later when I came back, Kim had found the card, and it was in wow. one of our laundry bins that I hadn't looked in. Like, I had looked through all of the dirty laundry, all of the hoodies, my jackets, all yeah, these yeah. places, and there was one laundry location that I didn't look in, and she looked there, and of course found it. Right, it's which is the last place she looked. Which, which totally, like, I mean, you know, dad wisdom number one is like, if you can't find something, it's somewhere you haven't looked yet. Right, like that's <laughs> number one on the list. And I didn't follow that, so she sort of like proved it. I, I, I don't know, but it's like, so I ended up like I got the thing and yeah, I put yeah, the trash back in there. Yeah. Right, of course. And, and and that's what's beautiful about Australia is like. The government is always like, report those tossers. And everyone else is like, fucking government, man. They're always out to get you. And so, like, you know, if, if, if you've got a bunch of trash and your trash can's full and, you know, they, they want to charge you, you know, to, to you know, throw away trash. When the trash man comes, you know, you're like, hey, can I toss some other stuff? And he like he gets out of his truck. He's like, yeah. Those guys, you know, they're charging you so much. And he's like helping you throw bags. Exactly. Of trash exactly. Yeah. Because that was my thinking is like. Who in this town of 5,000 people hasn't been in this situation, yes. right? Like, we've yeah. all been here, right? Like, you can't find your card. Like, you got a lot going on. And just I think like, you hit the answer. I think, you're, I think you actually have both answers are, are correct. I think either, like, when someone sort of, like, brings you, goes at you with a problem, you're reflected back on the problem. You know, the metaphor I've always heard is like, hey, walk up to the person, put their arm around them, and, like, look at the problem collectively. Like, and you kind of did that. You're trying to do that with the person. Be like, you're like, yeah, you know, it sucks. I, I, I'm leaving it here. I lost my card. Do you, you know, and then you would ask them like, you have any suggestions? What do you do when you lose your card? Right. Cause then you're just inviting that person in and mm. it diffuses this situation or what you said before was, oh. Hey, it's just not worth the time. Like, you know, you know, what's going on, right? It's not worth the time. So just walk by, right. There's no reason to stop. I like that. I like that. I, I think to, to summarize your advice, always ask, what would you do? Right. Like, <laughs> You know, t- t- tell me how you would handle this situation. And and then, like, that at least at the very moment, hmm, I think maybe I have to train myself to have that be the default reaction to any challenge to what I'm doing. And that will give me 20 to maybe even 90 seconds to sort of, like, calm down and collect myself and think about the next move, right? Because it's almost like what you want to do if someone is, like, throwing something at you you want to throw it back to them to have them like deal with it the hot potato as it were and then just so that you have some time to be like all right i'm ready right to kind of like all right if i could just you know we can wrap here on this one thought as just like i think you should apply it all the time except when you're in conversations with your executives never ask your executive team (laughs) what what you think they should do because that will invite the well what do we have you here for in the conversation is a very abrupt end. Hey everybody, it's me, 
Today's show is sponsored by Postlight. Postlight is a strategy design and engineering firm, and they want you to subscribe to their podcast. After all, who wouldn't want you, a quality listener and person, to subscribe to their podcast? The show is hosted by Postlight co-founders Rich Ziotti and Paul Ford. You may remember Paul from his famous Bloomberg article, What is Code? Now, that's the first article I think I read where I noticed there was a bunch of those little whiz doodles moving around as you read it. Now, hopefully you also remember Paul as writing all sorts of other great articles under the, uh, I don't know, F-Train moniker, his uh, Twitter handle and blog name, URL, whatever. The Postlight Podcast is a weekly no BS conversation. That's a phrase you'll have to look up uh, about what's happening in tech, business, ethics, and culture. A few of the recent guests include Clay Shirky, product discovery coach Teresa Torres, and software-defined talk favorite, Chief Cloud Economist Corey Quinn. The show touches on topics like the power of naming your initiatives, agency product management, programming in Python, and creating more efficient meetings. I'm pretty sure everyone can do better at least two of those. Plus, there is plenty of other discussions on everything from parenting to living in New York City. New episodes every Tuesday, wherever you get your podcast. For more information and to see all episodes, visit postlight.com slash podcast. So, why don't you open up your podcast listener, go search around for it, take a listen. I always enjoy the episodes. They're fun. They open up with a good old cold start, like some podcasts you might be familiar with, maybe even listening to. They're nice and uh, humane and uh, informative. They've got, they've got some great theme music, too. And of course, we thank Postlight for sponsoring our show. Well, you know I love surveys, as I like to start every blog post that I write about surveys ever. Or I should start that way, I guess. But there is a, uh, I think Open Logic, who is owned by Perforce now, the uh, if you remember them, version control. I haven't checked in on Perforce in a while, but I think they had a cool version control system. We used, uh, what did we use there at BMC? The Microsoft Source Safe for a uh, while? We yeah. did. I liked I used Source Safe. I, that's how long it yeah. was. I still, I I'm probably the only one that really liked it. Lock the file. No one can change anything. It's yeah, great. Yeah. You know, manual merges. Oh, that's yeah. It's like it's like a, it's like a gets. it's like a library. It's yeah. just like we got one book. We, one person checks it out, and fuck you if you want to read it. It's universally hated though. That approach, one hundred percent hated. Like I can't even find yeah. anyone else yeah. that we, thinks it's a good we, idea. We we actually were using Subversion on some of the stuff. True. Oh yeah, I, I I think I think we migrated from from uh, Source Safe to Subversion. Yeah, yeah and then yeah. eventually I think Git was after that. Right. Oh, yeah. not not while we were at BMC though. Yeah. No, no. Who knows what they're doing? They're probably using Control MD to like uh, do their version controller. <laughs> it's it's Control M and Control D, right? Not MD. I I forget what it yes. is. Anyhow, there was Maybe. another survey, uh, the open source survey. I, you know, I didn't disentangle the OSI versus Open Logic versus whatever, but they had a number of Kubernetes usage, right? Something yes. we are very interested in here, and I was reading through it now. It's a 77-page PDF. I feel like I've read maybe 10 of the pages uh, so far because I just started looking at Would that get you 10 today. bullet points? That's right. And, and, and <laughs> ostensibly, I'm on some sort of vacation, so I wasn't really like – or holiday or whatever. So I, I didn't like spend a lot of time reading it. However, one of the, the major things they had in their press release and in the, um, the report was that they asked people – uh, how many people were using, they asked the respondents, how many people are using Kubernetes? And it came out that about, uh, what was it? Uh, let me, 18. let me, I'm checking. Yes, 18% of respondents are using Kubernetes today. Now, 
I didn't do a detailed analysis of the question and the demographics. I actually did look at the demographics. It was like 30% tech companies and everything else, which is fine. Not a big deal. Uh, but now normally when you read a survey, especially a press release about a survey where people are using Kubernetes, what you'll read is that like 60 to 70% of organizations are using Kubernetes, right? So this was a much different uh, response than you would see. And I think... I mean, I feel like maybe it's annoying for me to go over this every time, right? But it's a good opportunity to distinguish between a, you know, let's say, well, let me put it this way. I feel like if you were to survey the global 1,000 companies, which Mm -hmm. I guess that means the top 1,000 companies globally by revenue. Sure. I think it's how you you would do that. That's what... Because the Fortune 500 are based on valuation. No, they're not even based on... The S&P is invite only, right? To be in the S&P. And I think the Fortune is by revenue or is it yep, by valuation? Revenue. Uh, yeah, okay. Revenue. So I don't know how they judge global 2000 or 1000. But like, I, I feel like if you were to ask all of the global 1 or 2000... Every single one of them would have at least one Kubernetes cluster running that has at <laughs> least one container running in it, right? So you would have 100% of the global 1 to 2,000 are using Kubernetes, right? <laughs> See, but, but, but that, that, that's, that's where the, the, the distinction of containerization and uh, orchestration strategy comes in. Ah, yes, yeah, they got yes. some shit running, but who knows how it got there and what it's doing. Well, so, I think so, it, I think it's so actually I, really I, worth, you know, cause I think it's actually worth ahead. reading this entire bullet because it kind of, I, I think it highlights everything you said. The most desirable new technologies are containers and Kubernetes. Only 18% of the respondents use Kubernetes today. 39% have a cloud strategy and 29% have a containerization strategy to Matt's point. Right. So it's sort of like, you have some people thinking about containers outside of Kubernetes, which in itself is kind of interesting, right? It's like, well, what are they doing? Are they doing some type of other orchestration? And then I really like this 39% uh, having a cloud strategy because I think you would say if you asked the global 2000, do you have like it, like a group would all like almost 100% of people would say they have something there. So this came to, across to me like these are like the most honest survey people exactly. I've ever <laughs> met. I'm like, this actually jives with what I actually feel like I see when I talk to people. And I was like, so, so to your earlier question, I don't know if the questions were formulated better or it was like a safe environment. Like people really felt like they just gave exactly. the, the honest answers, I, but it, it really resonated. as like, this is the truth. This well, is exactly. And, and, exactly. and so they're, I, they're, they're negging, oh, they're, they're negging the, the responses. They're like, you know, do you, do you have a cloud strategy? And like, it's not a strategy. We're just throwing stuff up in the cloud. Right. And, and so like, that's why you get this like weirdly, weirdly low. Cause, cause to your point, I'm sure they have a bunch of stuff in the cloud. Right. But is it strategic? Did they, you know, did they really plan these things out? I don't know. Right. And and so I think they have, I, I think we have arrived on the proper question to ask about, are you using Kubernetes? And I'm going to couple this with like, um, eventually, I don't know when I put this into the, to the uh, VMware Tanzu machine, the content machine, it'll come out at some point. But I wrote some analysis of the uh, Cloud Native Computing Foundation 2021 survey, right, of, of their usage. And they had a, a question equally of, they asked their respondents, are you using Kubernetes? Not as your organization using it, but are you using it? And the answer that came out of there is that 21% of people 
said they were using Kubernetes, right? And 21%, 17%, 18%, right? And these kind of surveys is pretty much the same number to me, right? Like yeah. anything within that 10% range, right? Not a big deal, right? So I think that is how we need to start measuring Kubernetes usage is not, well, I mean, the ultimate way to measure it is globally, I think I said this last week, globally, how many applications or workloads are there? How many of them are running on, on Kubernetes? That's what you really want, but that is... Well, it would be possible, but like it's difficult to get at. Whereas I think what people should start asking is the 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 uh, the person in your survey. Don't ask, "Is your organization using it?" Ask, "Are you using it?" And then we will start to get like a better picture of how many people. I mean, I guess I'm by definition of the words I'm about to say. How many people are using Kubernetes versus your organization or a uh, strategy that you have? Because I I think like. Looking at the that CNCF question and the um, Open Logic or whatever survey it is, yeah, we'll get a pretty good idea of what's going on there. And the the if that way of thinking about it is accurate, which I don't know seems accurate to me, uh, like we will get a much better idea of how early things are, which is not bad. Don't get me wrong, right? Like I was writing about this on Twitter when I was looking at it this morning. Is like. I mean, I kind of sort of hope for all of us who work at software vendors that the market is not done yet. That would be, <laughs> be bad. If, if, if there were like a huge amount of people who had not yet bought in to this Kubernetes market, right? And indeed, uh, Fintan or Fintan or whatever, who used to uh, work at Redmonk, uh, now at Gartner, he, he kind of confirmed that like when they, were, they did their market calculation, uh, what did he say? He said that, the API management market was larger than the Kubernetes market, which is, I think, a pretty good indication of, yeah, things will be fine for us. We'll still be able to get a paycheck for the next five or 10 years hustling this Kubernetes stuff. So looks all right so far. Today's show is sponsored by StrongDM. Are you still using SSH keys, RDP logins, and database credentials? Do you have a worn-out Post-it note with all your passwords on it? Well, it's time to access your infrastructure like it's no longer 1999. StrongDM is the only modern infrastructure access platform. It creates a seamless, secure, and observable air gap between your staff and the critical infrastructure that powers your company. With StrongDM, you can instantly revoke access to every database, Kubernetes cluster, or server with just a click. You can automatically log every query, SSH, and kubectl command to know who did what, when, and where across your stack. And you can eliminate credentials from end-user workflows to deploy access that's zero trust and least privileged by default. Trusted by the fine folks at Betterment, Peloton, SoFi, and Chime, StrongDM is the only way to deploy secure access controls in a way folks love to use. Don't take my word on it. Check out StrongDM for yourself with a free demo. Sign up at strongdm.com slash SDT. That's strongdm.com slash SDT. And of course, we thank StrongDM for sponsoring our show. So there's a few more things in the survey I wanted to go over, just because like, I'm always trying to be better about how I read these things. Now, one of them was, now this is an open source survey, right? About how people are, the respondents, as they say, are, uh, did I ever tell y'all that when I was at 451, they told us instead of saying the word survey, we should say study. And I've, I've kind of like, I've kind of like ingrained that in my head is like, like their explanation was that like, well, this is not like a scientific survey, right? right? Like that, like scientists would acknowledge. And I was kind of like, yeah, 
I feel you. That makes sense. So we should we should start saying study. I like that. That that feels good. So in this study, it's it's about open source usage. And there's another chart where they asked people um, of these categories of open source projects, which ones are not important or frustratingly mildly important, important, <laughs> very important, or most important. Now, what I think it, what's frustrating about this is there was not a uh, four level gradient of not important. It was just like not important, right? But whatever. There's only so much you can do with a Likert scale before like you go insane or whatever. But so when I look at this, um, now there's data science, artificial intelligence, machine learning, deep learning, which is just like figure out a phrase, right? Like, <laughs> like it's cool. We could just like go with one phrase, no problem. Virtual reality or augmented reality, Kubernetes or Kubernetes operators, blockchain, crypto, non-fungible tokens, non-fungible tokens, serverless slash functions, IoT or edge computing, data fabric, and quantum computing. Um, so those are the categories, right? Yeah. And people rated the importance of each of those things. And when I look at this chart, and I'm not going to read all the percentages. Now, as I like to say a lot, I have a philosophy major and a minor English. If I would have taken three more hours of English, I could have also had a major, but I couldn't fucking stand to hear a bunch of people my own age talk about Faulkner for like a whole nother semester. I was just tired of it. <laughs> Anyways. Like when I look at these numbers, it basically looks like every single thing is as important as everything else except yes. NFTs. Right? No, 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 no. <laughs> the, the, everything is very important. If, right. If, if you isolate the numbers, very important has almost universally the highest percentage for everything. Right. Now, now, NFTs, which are and, and, and just as an example, I am going to read the numbers of the top three most important, the, the top three and the bottom most important thing. So data science, very important, 30.82%. Love the 0.82%. Very nice to have that precision. Always enjoy it. Artificial intelligence, blah, 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 29.37%. Virtual reality or augmented reality, 27.82%. Now, footnote, I feel like if you're in the global 2000 and virtual reality and augmented reality is very important to you, please tell me so I can short your stock, right? Like... <laughs> Like not There's cool, just some right? Some chump in the office of the CTO. Hey, hey yeah. now, jump jump in here for a real second. For everyone following along, we'll make this the show art so they can see it right now. Look at your podcast player, and you can see the numbers. That's now continues and, on. And and to my point, the bottom of the barrel of very important quantum computing twenty three point nine two percent. Now let's round that up to twenty four percent. So the difference between out of one, two, three, four, five, six, what what is this? Like eight right. things. The difference between the most important of eight priorities and the least important of eight priorities is 6%, right? <laughs> and, and like if I was someone in charge, now I don't like managing people. I've never been a vice president of shit, right? Like, like I feel like I would be like, great job, everyone. Come back in a week and tell me something that you are 80% very important on, right? Mm -hmm. Like – this is so close that your priorities are basically like you want to do everything, yeah. right? So sort it out. Well, or, you're, especially if you're in like the global hundred or thousand, it's like you might be trying all these at the same time. 
Right. Well, I think isn't your I think your point like your broader point is just like this is just a bad question. This is a bad question the way they've done it and the way the way that they've responses is like typically you'd see something along with some kind of forced ranking, right? You know, either do a forced mm, ranking or yes. like do the uh hey, if I gave you like a, a million dollars or just pick any amount, like I give you thousand dollars, million dollars, whatever, like how would you allocate? Where would you spend it? Right? Like per- perhaps this people... is a, a choose as many options as you want sort of yeah. question here. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, when you, yeah. yeah, when you, and if you kind of, if someone's just, if they're just forced to like rate every, cause we've all taken surveys like this. You're like, I really don't care that much about these things, but like, I'm forced to rate every single one. You're just like, okay. And you kind of end up with something that looks like this. It's kind of right. Or you could say, or maybe be more generous to it. It's just say that there's not a lot of like, they're all equally important. Right. I mean, to, your, to what you said before, yeah. Problems are it's the like, could be, could be. Yeah. yeah, I mean, at least across the broad industry, these all have equal weight. I mean, that seems unlikely to be the right answer, but you could you could draw I, I, that. I from mean, this. I mean, I just I, I just like let so let's round uh, NFTs twenty six point eight five percent. Let's round that up to twenty seven percent, right? Or let's round it down to twenty five percent. I am just like shocked that twenty five percent of people who responded to a survey would say that NFTs are very important, right? To their, I mean, I mean. I don't know. Maybe they all were like the only people who responded to the survey were like uh, board eight people or whatever. Well, but it just you, seems you know, as, as, as soon as as soon as NFTs pass Kubernetes, I think we're going to have to shut this thing down. Mm. <laughs> That's a good point. That's now Kubernetes did come in. So important. Twenty nine point six one percent. Yeah, they beat out NFTs by three percent. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. Maybe we should get some new jobs in the blockchain <laughs> stuff. Well, one, I think this is a good candidate for slide of the year. I mean, it's early, it's early, you know, there's a long year left, so we'll see. But like you, you, I think, you know, you could pretty much say this is useless. This information here feels pretty useless. I mean, okay. Okay. Now, now let me redeem the survey. Cause this is, this survey is 77 pages. Yeah. Let's actually, be fair. This question, this question yes, is yes. useless. We other parts of the survey or the study Very as, good. Very to your good point stuff. may have much better information. Hey, we all have written a bad question in our life. Let's let's not overly judge, I guess. Right, right. And 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 that one is just like, hey, just as you said, Brandon, let's go back and they can only pick one, right? That's yeah. what you want with this kind of question. Force totally people to make totally decisions cool. or they won't. So so maybe maybe to be more charitable, right? Is that that question is more of what are things that you, the respondent, think are interesting, right? And I think I think if you were to read it as a response to that, makes sense, right? Like all of those things are kind of equally interesting, which is which is well, which is fine. and, and it, even for all of like you know my crypto hating, I I still am interested, right? You Absolutely, know, and, and yes. so that 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 just skews it even further. It's like. Yeah, I read that stuff because I'm like, what the hell, right? Yeah. <laughs> now, now the like Brandon was saying, a lot of good stuff in the survey. Now, one of the questions that I really liked in the survey, and I'm going to spend some more some more time contemplating, is somewhere in the 77 pages. And I'm not saying that to be a uh, a dick about it. I actually appreciate a survey that is very in depth. I do a lot of work on survey stuff nowadays. And one of them was uh, challenges with open source automation and orchestration technologies, right? And so that's a whole lot of words to say pretty much all of the stuff we care about in cloud nowadays, right? Automation, orchestrating things, your secure software supply chain, whatever, all this stuff. And if you look at the answers for that, the they kind of reflect, I think, what 
a lot of people in the Kubernetes people talk about, aside from like the um, maybe like scaling things, right? But basically the top answers there by far are things like installations and upgrades, configurations, configuration issues, skills, right? Always a top thing. And keeping up with updates and patches, which is a very long way of saying security, right? And and so like those seem like the top challenges people have with open source when it comes to automation orchestration. I would say if you removed open source from that phrase, it would also be fine, right? Like <laughs> is essentially like getting the thing up and running, right? And upgrading it, right? And also the skills of people to handle this and then security and <laughs> yeah, you're wait, done, wait. right? Let, let me try this. The number one support challenge with software across all industries is personal experience of proficiency. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. And security and getting that motherfucker installed, right? Like that, that is constantly the problem that you have. And I feel like, so, so like now it sounds like I'm being slightly dismissive, right? But I think those are the three top challenges of anything ever, right? And yeah. now number number four, number four is, as I used to say, the problem you want to have. And in a lot of the Kubernetes surveys that I've looked at recently, this one comes up more frequently, right? Which is integration and connectivity, which let me rephrase that, doing something with this shit, right? Is <laughs> like once we get Moving this thing installed. Yeah. That's right. Like once we get it installed, like we've got to connect with this database. We got to connect with this thing. We got to like make it work with that. And you've got to like fit it into your existing stuff and integrate it and connectivity it, so to speak, with, with those things as well. So I feel like if you are a product manager or on the other side of it, an enterprise architect, someone kind of figuring out your strategy, like this plus a few additional things are kind of defining what your next three to five years is going to be, right? It's going to be all about like, how do I get this thing up and running? How do I make sure I can upgrade it and put a new... Um, the new version of it on there. I've got to secure it, right? Because like, you know, security's good. Like security's like your skin. Like if you don't have your skin, you're just a pile of mush, right? Like it's no big, what, it's not going to work out. So you got to have like your skin around stuff. And then also the skills of people to do stuff. And I feel like, I think that when it comes to application developers, the two or three things you have to add to this to kind of any product manager anywhere, this is what their 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 deal is going to be, is like, uh, I need to have developer experience. What does developer experience mean? Developer experience means like this tragically named thing that we call developer portals, which is basically like better than a wiki page describing to developers onboarding and the other frameworks that they can use. And then, and then maybe the other thing around that is like, um, I don't know, like, mm, like there's a few more things developers need. Like it kind of comes to that fourth thing of integration is like, I don't know, I just need Postgres to work. Like, like so that's another thing that you can integrate into there. And maybe like I'd like it to work in my IDE. And then you've got like five or six things there. You're set for like three or five years. I don't know, Brandon, if you were a product manager here, could you run with that? What would you, uh, would this set your priorities? It would. I mean, I, I do think, what the survey is kind of revealing is like, you know, what really the three problems that all software are trying to run, run up are solved, right? It's usually some version of reduced costs, improve agility, right? Making people more effective and then security. So it's like almost any software that I've ever been a part of like 
selling, building, even using, you know, that is the, that little, those questions is what you're trying to figure out. Right. And so, so the fact that this applies to open source or developer experience is no surprise. I think in this case, the survey is just sort of reflecting back, you know, what we kind of already know, but it's still good to validate it again. And then to your point about developer experience, you know, cause that's been a hot topic, you know, across, you know, I don't know for a long time, maybe, but you know, more recently we've been talking about it. It just kind of comes down to the idea that like, that there is this one Holy grail of a, a developer experience. Like it's all going to be solved and well, it's just going to work. Like this is the Matt Ray kind of comment all the time. It's like, well, no, it just, at some point it just breaks down. So you just, if, if I was kind of like, you know, modeling this out, it's like, you have to decide what's the developer experience that you're going to create for this group of people in this environment. And you're going to like have some constraints and then you're going to hire and build an organization that does its best to live within those constraints until such time that you feel like we got to really relook at it. And unfortunately, every company generally has to kind of do that on their own, right? They have to mm. kind of make that decision on their own, like, like decorating a family room or decorating a home. At some point, you have to make the decision what you want. No one can just come in and do it. Um, even though many people will try to, to, to say, like, this is the only way. But I think we've just find that that, that part um, just doesn't work well. I don't know, Matt, this seems to be something you, you talk a lot about. Well, well, well now hold on, Brandon. I, th- I think there's an epiphany that you've had there that that's worth dwelling on, which is there is no one developer experience, right? Like there's all these things that you can do to like make developers more productive and make them happier, but it's not like, what would be an equivalent? It's not like, there's not like one thing we're finally going to discover <laughs> that is developer experience, right? It's not like, let, I don't know. Let's try this out. Like I think maybe inversion control there is always one type of version control that dominates, right? Like, yeah. like at the moment, everyone uses Git. Before that, everyone used Subversion. Before that, most everyone used CVS except for Perforce, right? Like, and 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 it's <laughs> and sort of it's sort of like Mercurial, right? Yeah. Right. It, it's sort of like more or less when it comes to version control. There's only ever one we, version. Yeah, we've control. we've coalesced around one good idea. Whereas like when it comes to this idea of developer experience, there is never one developer experience. Oh, no, experience. absolutely. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. And I, I think what you're hitting on, like, so just back up one level, be like, yep, we've coalesced around that version control. But then um, in an interview that's upcoming, like ended up talking to the, the person about, we'd, we had like a fun conversation about Vim versus Emacs versus other IDs. It's like, you know, there isn't just one, right? And you're creating, and like, so back to what I was saying before, like I've been in organizations where, pretty much everyone was told they should use this IDE, right? Even, and now some people would do something outside the standard, right? But it was always like, no, this is, this is the way it was worked. Now other places, like absolutely that, what I just said there is heresy, right? Do not tell a professional software developer which IDE or, you know, text editor or whatever that they're going to use, right? Provide them command line tools and let them integrate it into the environment they want. And that's just a choice, right? It's just a choice that you can make. And, you know, there's, there's advantages and disadvantages to both. So, so the kind of back to like, if you're developing, if you're, sorry, use a better word, if you're going to build out the developer experience, this is what you need to be thinking about. Like, what are the things that absolutely have to be cornerstones that are kind of non-negotiable? What are the places that you allow the developers to be most productive by picking their own tools and their own experiences, right? And 
how do you think about introducing new tools, especially into the CICD pipeline that help automation? You don't want to be so rigid that nothing can be added. At the same time, you can quickly, you know, that pipeline can become like whatever, 50 or 100 steps of lots of different tools and become a nightmare to manage. And you got to be thinking about all of that together. But just like I said, develop, you know, decorating your house, you have to ultimately make those decisions, right? You have to do that. Um, and no one's going to do that for you. And you're going to have to live with the trade-offs. There will always be trade-offs. Yep. There we go. Sorted, as they say in the UK. Huh, that makes sense. Well, do you have any bureaucracy this week, Brandon? We do. We have a few things this week. Uh, first, I want to thank uh, Kermit for writing in. I sent him some stickers. Uh, he's in Ohio. If you'd like some stickers, all you have to do is send your postal address to stickers at softwaredefinedtalk.com, and I'll be happy to send you a sticker anywhere in the world. Last week, I also asked uh, for some Mac OS utilities, some cut and paste um, password managers. A couple of people recommended different things. Chris recommends Alfred, which is really like a whole command launcher. So it's got a lot of stuff in there, but it also has a, um, a password. Ma- I'm sorry, not a password manager. A uh, What am I saying here? I, a, a, uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> a clipboard manager is what I was looking go. for. Thank you. A clipboard manager in there. So you can use that one. And uh Rookie recommends uh, Mac tools like uh, Shuffle, Flux, and Spectacle. And then, Kote, you mentioned it last week. Some people asked about it. You, you know, you're, you're part of the subscription thing that you get, like all these utilities. Is yeah, for, you- uh, it's called SetApp, S-E-T-A-P-P. And they have, they have, I don't know, they might have more, but they have one in there called Pasty, uh, tragically named. but uh, <laughs> Or not tragically, but, you know, just uh, it means a few more things than pasting things. So uh, it's it's good. I use that all the time, every day, multiple times. All right. Well, so hopefully one of those, sorry, so correct myself, one of those clipboard managers, if, if you're looking for one, those seem like all good recommendations. I'm, I'm still using the same one I'm using. Uh, PasteBot seems to work well, but we'll see. We'll see how much I stick to it. And then finally, um, incredibly, it, it sounds like we did make an error on last week's show, probably the first one ever. <laughs> I, will, uh, I will now uh, formally... Uh, hand it over to Matt Ray to explain to us, Matt Ray, there is Diet Coke down under in Australia. Can you please explain uh, yes. what's going on with Diet Coke there? Uh, on, on behalf of Software Defined Talk, I would like to apologize to the Coca-Cola Corporation for incorrectly reporting that they do not have Diet Coke here. Um, they have Diet Coke in Australia. They have Coca-Cola no sugar as well. They do not have Coke Zero. I uh. Ah, Coke Zero is the Coca-Cola no sugar. Um, apparently, Diet Coke and uh, is a slightly different flavor than uh, you know sugar-free Coke, if you will. And so uh, if, if you want your Coke with no sugar, get the no sugar kind. And both of them have artificial sweetener number 951, which is chemically the same as NutraSweet, which I thought oh, they didn't have here. There you go. Again, another mea culpa. I, oh. I apologize. That stuff is gross. Uh, I don't drink it anyway. Stick with coffee. <laughs> Maybe that's tea. that's where you should have. probably shouldn't drink. Oh wait, sorry, but... sorry, Coca Cola Corporation. They're with the sponsorship. Ah. That's right, but but it, it's there at least the people that want it. It's not like you can't get it. So that's good to yeah. know. And then finally, on in follow up, I'll just uh, there was a really good a software uh, uh, a good Slack thread rather about some of our discussion last week. We talked a lot about the Kubernetes documentary. So uh, there was some follow up. I mm. think who who is it, Joe? How do you say his last name there? It, I don't, one of the, the people in there posted a, a nice thread on uh, what Hacker News, I think. And then uh, there was a nice thread in the SDT Slack talking about some of that. So if you're interested, you want to know more, 
uh, that's a good reason to join the Slack, right? You can go in there and read it. I think Brian Gracely of Cloud, uh, the Cloudcast fame, he's got some uh, thoughts in there. You know, Kote's got some thoughts. I got some thoughts. So check that out if you're looking for something to read. Yeah. All available at softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 345. Or if you don't like numbers, you can just go to softwaredefinedtalk.com and uh, click on the link that says Slack and uh, come join our Slack. Do we still have the... Uh, I mean, in this day and age, we you, we still have to use the, the like uh, no SSHJJ thing. Yeah, but it works great. He's, he's made it all automated for us. It's, it's oh uh, uh, no no I, no I I think that work is great. I'm just saying we are still at the point. Yeah, this is uh, let me check. This is February twenty anonymous registration still not available in Slack. Yeah, it's actually no. something that Slack tried to uh, they've they've tried to deprecate. So you can't add new Slack communities. Can't sign that up. Ah. Oh. Wow. So, so we 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 are we're running on legacy fumes here. So so what what are they just trying to legacy like make, meaning it's in production and works. They're just trying to make Discord valuable. Like it just seems absurd. I, I feel I like we're going to start being as long as uh, no SSHJJ yeah. still around. We're still working, baby. He's got the keys to the castle. Well, someone you know. someone's got to go to Hawaii and and tell Benny off this one feature they need to add that might uh, ex- <laughs> expand their TAM or something. I don't know. I'll see what I can do. Oh, thank you. Yes. I mean, it's probably closer to you than us, right? We should. Like, Let's say Slack. Hours. A Slack a few weeks ago, they gave us another, I think it's just some random thing. Like we get a free month of the, the premium and it's great because you can go back and see all the archives. Like you can go back and like, oh, so there's like this one month a year. You can fully go back and read everything that's ever happened in the software huh. to find Slack. We call Slack. that Slacktoberfest. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but unfortunately, and if anyone knows Slack, it's like, we we don't. I mean, to be honest, like we'll just own it. Like we're never going to have the money to subscribe. So I may, maybe especially they, per user. That's yeah, what's it's wrong like we're just we, we can't do it. But we'll take our one month of free Slack and go back and read, or or maybe just hook us up. Hook us up with a little extended uh, free trial or something. That would be and great. And we'll stop making fun of you. Mm, we'll yeah, still, yeah, we'll still talk about you all the time. You know, we, you know, I'll we, save it for Coca Cola. Well, I I mean, I'm pretty sure every every corporation wants honest feedback, right? <laughs> So that's uh, that's that's what we we can provide is honest feedback, not the uh, dishonest feedback. Do, do you think do you think dishonest feedback that's negative exists? I think dishonest feedback is only ever positive, right? If we reverse engineer from the implications of honest feedback. Anyway, something to ponder while you're waiting for uh, attending a bunch of conferences that are coming up. We've got the .NET Beyond conference. It's going to be all online. That's March thirty to thirty first. My uh, my my coworker Layla is running this. As the name would imply, a bunch of .NET stuff going on there. There is that conference, which has been rescheduled over there in Round Rock in Texas, May twenty third and twenty sixth. We have all sorts of discount codes if you want to get some dollars off registering for it. If you go to softwaredefinedtalks.com slash three forty five, you can find those. There's a Wisconsin one. We've got several DevOps days coming up. I think uh, there are still some call for papers uh, coming up for the Birmingham one and uh, Chicago. There's a Splunk conference in uh, June. And obviously, every year, there is the Spring One Platform Conference. This is going to be December 6th to 8th. I think December 6th is my mother's birthday. And my, uh, my boss, Tasha, she is actually going out next week, I think, to do a little like walking around check out what the conference layout is going to be. I think we're going to be in the Moscone West, which is the tall one, if I recall. Uh, So she's going to figure out what's going on over there. You should come attend that conference. Uh, You know, conferences, they will be uh, enjoyable. I'll be at the Austin one 
uh, in May. I'm looking forward to some warm weather. Now, Brandon, by the way, uh, is it freezing there? What's the weather like right now? Right now, it's uh, just below freezing. It's about 30, I think it's like 30, 31 degrees. Uh, and of course, though, for those that follow the Slack, uh, in Texas, uh, two days ago, it, this again, all temperatures in Fahrenheit, the only true temperature system. Uh, on Tuesday afternoon here in Austin, it was 88 degrees Fahrenheit. And then uh, mm. two days later, or the day later, about 12 hours later, it was 35 degrees Fahrenheit. So, yeah. so now uh, this will probably be the last really cold day or I don't know, maybe a cold week uh, in Austin, then we'll just be on to our scorching heat, which is fine, which would be great. <laughs> well, I, th- I think both uh, Austin and Amsterdam are off their, their meds today because earlier today <laughs> it was like blue skies and very nice. And then when I was walking home from the grocery store, it was uh, hailing. So I don't know what's up with that, but uh, figure it out, Austin and Amsterdam. Pick a weather. So with that, Brandon, what's your recommendation this week? My recommendation this week is another Apple TV series that I just started. It's called Severance. Uh, so it's only two episodes in, So, but I really enjoyed the first two episodes. So I think it works uh, well as a standalone psychological thriller. I won't. I think it's better to maybe go in just watching it. I'll just say it's like if you want to look, um, kind of understand the premise more, maybe just watch the preview. I won't ruin it here. But I think as a thriller kind of mystery, it works there. But I also think it has very interesting, subtle um, – work commentary about your work life and your home life and kind of like work-life balance. I think, there, I don't know, something's happening in it that's sort of very interesting to me. So I'm excited to see where the series goes. So two episodes are up now. By the time you hear this, we'll probably have four out. So if you're looking for something to watch and you're already part of the defaults lifestyle anyway, you're already paying for Apple TV Plus because you needed that extra uh, Apple storage, <laughs> check out Severance. It's good. How about yourself, Matt Ray? Well, I'm I'm on the uh, the the tick uh, to uh, to the Apple TV talk. Uh, I canceled my Apple TV and uh, have my my seasonal HBO uh, Max subscription, so uh, I'm catching up on on HBO shows. Um, I'm enjoying, or I just finished last night uh, a series that came out I think last year called The Flight Attendant. Brandon probably recommended this at some point. I didn't know anything about it, so that's the best way to go into it. Is uh, I thought it was a comedy. <laughs> Whoa. It's okay. not. It's um, not a comedy. Yeah. Not a comedy. Uh, so, um, you know, uh, go and enjoy it. Uh, it was, uh, you know, one of those, you know, who uh, thriller kind of, uh, you know, I, I don't want to spoil it too much, but it was actually really good and I enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, um, that's all I'm going to say. Uh, if you got HBO, it's worth watching. All right. Well, I I have a couple of recommendations. A lot of good things have been happening this week. One is, uh, so I started, you know, I'm always looking for something new to watch with my almost two-year-old daughter on TV because she can watch Encanto, Coco, and Frozen all day long, and I cannot. Like, I mean, that's all good stuff. I enjoy it. But I'm always exploring more. And I tried to watch the, uh, the Clone Wars, Star Wars thing, but, you know, they got lasers and they're killing people. And, like, it is a little, like... I don't know, Obi-Wan Kenobi in, like, like Stormtrooper armor? I'm not feeling it, right? Like, no. whatever. But there, uh, we did, I went back to Netflix finally, and they have this uh, Hilda TV show. Now, we watched a Hilda movie, which was good, but the TV show is pretty good. So that's a good thing, uh, I don't know, kid-wise, Hilda. Look that up. Now, my second recommendation is uh, my wife, Kim, was telling me, she listens to the Murder Podcast, and she played me, an episode of the, I think it's called the All Killa No Filla podcast, which is, you know, 
about murders. But it's episode number 69, and they begin with this whole off-murder topic tangent about their opinion about tomatoes. And they're British, so of course they say tomatoes. Tomatoes. And there is about a 10-minute sort of like debate between the two co-hosts about the value of tomatoes versus not. And uh, I think it's everyone should go listen to it. Just uh, it's it's a very very funny. Now my my third recommendation. We've got a grocery store here. It's it's not an Albert Hein, or however one would say that if they weren't speaking angles or whatever. And it's also not a Yumbo, but it's it's called uh, the grocery store chain we have here is called Plus or Plus, I guess you would say. And tonight I picked up the uh, the pre cooked Indonesian spare ribs, and they were delicious. So I recommend uh, those as well. Get get those. And now, while you're eating your pre-cooked, heat it up in the oven at, um, I don't know, let's say 175 centigrade. I don't know what that is in Fahrenheit. Uh, it's probably 350 because everything cooks at 350 Fahrenheit or 300. Uh, but, it's, you know, while you're eating those, what you should do is go to softwaredefinedtalk.com and go back and relive all the past episodes that we have. Because that's what you've been listening to right now. And if you want to get those show notes, if you want to find the link to that podcast that I recommended, the show that Brandon did, or whatever it is that Matt recommended, I'm not really sure. I've got to click on that. You can go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 345 and get all of those links and other things. And with that, we'll see everyone next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So, so here, here is that while, while we're doodling around here. Here's a question I have for you two. So you both have worked in the tech industry for a while. You currently work in it. If you were, and, and this is only a hypothetical, it's not very serious. If you were going to choose one channel to do all of your sort of like, um, I don't know, publicity publishing to, would you choose Twitch, Twitter, YouTube, or LinkedIn? And I this is on the basis of what is going to be the most commercially, that is to say, making you money successful? What would you choose out of LinkedIn. those four? I would choose Twitter, but in doing so, I would then commit to producing most of my content being written things. Blog posts, reports. It needs uh-huh, to be written uh-huh. stuff, not video. Right? Interesting. So, like, Interesting. so the method, what is it? The medium matters there. Because there, there I think if you can write, if you're like, I'm just going to write great stuff, Twitter, you get to promote it, and then you constantly interacting. You can probably build yourself, you know, the fifty thousand, hundred thousand huh. follower list. But you gotta, but you gotta commit to the writing part of it. Now, if you're like, I'm not gonna write. If you're just, if you're like, I'm not writing, I don't want to do it. I'd probably do kind of what we do here, like Twitch. But then I, uh, I have everything like archived in YouTube, right? So okay. that YouTube being okay. the whole thing. But then it's like, of course, then you're committing to like, I'm gonna make good videos. But I would actually invert the question and just say like. Like, what do you think you're better at? Or I don't know, not even better. It's like, what are you gonna like? What are you gonna produce in volume that so, you're yeah, yeah. out there writing and, or and video? Right, right. And I and I'm thinking like, how are you trying to reach in, uh, customers? <laughs> and, and so that's why I said LinkedIn because it's like, well, yeah, you know, like quote unquote businessy people are. You know, you'll probably get. I, I agree. You'll, more people will probably see your message if you have good content distributed through uh through uh twitter yeah but if you are generating focused content that is like you know want to learn more about you know working with you know ibm legacy products you know that nobody on twitter is going to care but you know linkedin is the kind of place where like you know you build that steady drum beat you can post it to multiple 
channels you can you know uh maybe uh, you know yeah. i i feel like if you're going after customers and you have good content it's still about the content really right but i think i would i would agree with that and almost like so maybe it's almost like sister platforms it's like if i had to pick one and i was i felt like i was going to do a lot of writing i would pick twitter but then i would say if you've done that if you're creating that that content is going to be very easily be to be repurposed into linkedin because it's going to be written stuff and right. stuff like that right so right, right, right. those two kind of yeah. go i think they go very hand in hand just like i wouldn't limit myself if i was doing video i wouldn't just do youtube i would stream because it's kind of like hey if you're streaming you already got it you can build up some interaction and then you could maybe do a little bit of light editing and then put them in youtube and it's like you know it's, it's like those two together those platforms go together i think the harder part is like like i don't know you just got to commit to like one or the other I, I mean i guess you know you do a lot of both cote so so maybe you you know you can share your experience but it's like i just feel like it's probably better to be all in on one like matt iglesias like let's just use him right it's like He's a writer. That guy wants to write. He wants to, yeah, or Matt, yeah. Matt Levine too. He, that guy, you know, he loves to write. And when I hear him on a podcast, I don't like him as much as I like him in his writing. So it's like, you're probably only going to be great at like one of the things, right? Yeah. Or you just, yeah, just got to be strong at both. I, I think, I think, I think y'all's analysis, especially yours, Brandon, like kind of nails it in the sense that each of those things I mentioned and, and you added, the LinkedIn uh, analysis you did, Matt, was spot on, is that they are, each of those four things are different mediums. Mm -hmm. And LinkedIn is its own sort of thing in that it's a very, very specific audience, right? And so like, if that audience that you're going after is pure, I almost feel like the LinkedIn audience is pure B2B, right? Mm -hmm. There is no like, it's only if you are a company selling to other companies that LinkedIn yeah. is your channel, right? Everything else is just, I mean, it's your channel in so much as like content you're going to create. Like if you're looking for a job, obviously LinkedIn is, is like the place that you go or to be your resume. And, and then Brandon, you're right. Like if you are writing, if, if, you're, if, you're, if your thing, your medium is typing, Twitter is where you want to be. And then like, I don't know what the fuck with Twitch like that's whatever, right? And and, and like no one, you go to Mastodon. Yeah, I, I I mean I mean Twitch is just like sixty frames per second and like licking mics. That's what they do there. Like like that's it. Games and licking microphones. Well, over. yeah, I mean, and, and to that point, like if I had something more businessy, I, I I'd probably go to YouTube before I go to Twitch. That's Absolutely. To come and and to, and, and then so YouTube, it's it's almost like I mean the answer to the the best answer to all questions is to basically say the question was bullshit, which is what we have just done here. <laughs> and and so like YouTube is and it sounds ridiculous to say it, right? But YouTube is only good for videos, right? Which I think is a thing to consider with your social media strategy. Like, do you want to make videos? right? Like it's got to be visual. You're going to make videos. That's the only thing YouTube is for. So like, if that is, is, if that's the way you want to transact, that's what you're going to do. So that's good. That's very helpful. Uh, I like that. We're, we're almost one month into, uh, if, if you're doing the whole thing where you don't want to have to, um, you know, sell to people on December 31st. So your FY 23 actually starts, uh, in February 1st, we're almost one month into your financial year. 
versus your, your calendar year. So, you know, even if you've had the big meeting, you've set things out, now you've got some ideas of like uh, what you can do. You can set your strategy perfectly fine. Everything will be great. Love it. All right. We're ready to roll. <laughs> I don't know. That sounded like a pretty good ad break to me. <laughs> <laughs>